EHH Productions presents KB Cabaret, an original variety show, with your host, Bree Harvey. Hi folks, welcome to KB Cabaret. My name is Bree Harvey, head writer and producer of this show. KB Cabaret is a calabaloo of original skits, songs, poetry, and short stories. What's Calabaloo, you ask? Magic, from a child's creative imagination. I was five when I coined that word, and it's been around my family ever since. The settings originate from my hometown, Parlor City. And the stories originate from people Names, who characters, are... places, and incidents either are products of the author's imagination or are used fictitiously. Any resemblance to actual events or locales or persons, living or dead, is entirely coincidental. Thank you, Bonnie. That, folks, obviously was my lawyer. Starring my friends, the Parlor City Players, Judy McMahon, Bonnie DeForest, Charles Berman, John Carey, John Montgomery, and myself, Bree Harvey. Welcome to our town, welcome to Parlor City, where our friends come, come out to play. When neighbors don't leave, they stay and chat a while. Welcome to our town, to KB Cabaret. This time on KB Cabaret, we feature the music of Patricia Silverberg and a selection of pieces based on true stories with guest performer Kate Murray. Welcome to our time to KB Cabaret. The Bird. Years ago, my parents, bless their hearts, decided to go on a trip. It was a nice break for them and for us. My husband and I were thrilled when they announced the news. We're going on a trip. Yes, for three weeks. Wow, that's wonderful. Yes. What are you so thrilled about? Nothing, nothing. So where are you going? Yes, where are you going? To Spain, Austria, and Hungary. Your mother wanted to go to Hungary. Hungary's nice. Hey, you seen one church, you seen them all. Nice. We have a favor to ask you, dear. Yes, mother, we will take care of the house. No, dear, that's not it. I want you to take care of Perry, your parakeet. Oh, sure, Mom. I'll come over and feed him. No, you're not going to feed that thing here. You're taking it back to your house. Yes, what he means, dear, is Perry needs to be around family. No, I mean that thing is filthy. No, he's not 50. He's only three. He just would be lonely all day long. So we brought Perry home to our house. Now, don't get me wrong. I like animals, but taking care of pets is a responsibility, especially other people's pets. Eight days in and all was well. I took care of Perry like a boss. Oh, Perry, I found some diabiscuits for you. Perry, want a cracker? I saw Perry laying down in his cage. Never saw him do that before. He must have had a stressful day. So I went about my business in the kitchen. Honey, what's wrong with Perry? Nothing. He's resting. On the bottom of his cage? Isn't that a little bit weird? It never occurred to me that birds sleep on their perch, that they don't lay down on the floor of their cage. What? I, I never had a bird when I was growing up. Well, that little SOB decided to drop dead on my watch. I panicked. What should we do? Bury it. 
I can't bury it. Mother would want to be at the burial. Really? You know, Mother, she would want to write a eulogy and everything. I can't take that platform away from her. But what will we do with a dead bird for two more weeks? Put it in the freezer. In the freezer? Yes! Where are the Ziplocs? So for two weeks, Perry remained in the freezer in between the frozen turkey breast and the frozen carnival pistachio ice cream. When the parents came back from their trip, I did not expect their reaction. Oh, you! Why would I want to see a frozen dead bird? Only an idiot would think of something like that. I'm sorry, I thought the burial for your special family member would be important. It's only a bird, for God's sake. She's such an idiot. So my husband and I decided we would bury poor Perry the parakeet the next day. In the morning, we got up early and were ready to dig his grave when Howard looked out the window. Uh, honey, did you look outside? No, what's wrong? And there it was, over a foot of snow. Apparently, we had a blizzard overnight. Perry remained in our freezer for the next four months, right in between the frozen turkey breast and the frozen carnival pistachio ice cream, since no one wanted to open the freezer that snowy, harsh winter. In the spring, we buried Perry and bought a new side-by-side refrigerator. We never did eat that turkey. KB Cabaret presents Bree Harvey's Splash Mountain. Visiting lands of make-believe takes us away from everyday realities. Two years ago, I took my seven-year-old son to visit one of the ultimate lands of make-believe in Anaheim, California, Disneyland. We invited his 14-year-old cousin, Sam, to join us. This way, they could go on all the fast rides together, while I would have a pleasant drink by the bar. No, Mommy, please, my son Brian whined. Please ride with us on Splash Mountain, Mommy, please. At the age of 38, I felt I was too old for this But like a moron, I was cajoled and dragged into line of Disney belief. Over 500 people were waiting to visit these furry little animals of Splash Mountain. 60 minutes of waiting time from this point, the sign said. I looked up a huge 84-foot earthen-colored cement mountain with a sense of impending doom in the pit of my stomach. Splash Mountain, I recall, was based on a Disney film called Song of the South, which was a collaboration of short stories, Uncle Remus, Br'er Rabbit, and Tar Baby. I used to read those stories to Brian countless numbers of times. My son even developed that rendition of the Hillbill Twang. (laughs) Now, after 40 minutes, we were coming up to the warehouse part of the ride. The rows were formed into mazes so that 500 people were handled with utmost coordination. As we entered the dimly lit warehouse, I had to adjust my eyes to these new surroundings. There was a pleasant relief of coolness on our sweaty backs thanks to the air conditioning. California's sun can be ruthless in August. Zip! Zippity doo da, zippity a. My oh my, what a wonderful day! Was blaring from the amplifiers within the boxes above. The huge rooms were stacked with crates plastered with quotes from the stories of Uncle Remus, scrawled with yellowish caulk. 
I'm gonna get you, Brer Rabbit, if it's the last thing I do. As we were moving closer to the ride, the sayings became more urgent. Stay away from that old laughing place, or you'll end up rabbit stew. Zippity-doo-dah was now louder and more impending. During the most haunting doo-dah, the transport vehicle rolled downstream toward us. I reluctantly took a seat with the obviously naive boys in the rustic brown nine-seater log, and we embarked on our journey of foretold doom. Unexpectedly, we arrived into a tranquil forest of lush green foliage and multicolored flowers, azure sky, a crisp, clear, babbling brook full of joyous little critters, bunnies, piggies, geese, country bears, and bluebirds of happiness singing in festive harmony. How do you do? A mighty pleasant greeting. How do you do? Say it when you're meeting. How do you do? I'm leaning back on this pretty little log, the boy sitting in front of me, and I'm a-thinking, this is sweet, not scary as I imagined. I could forget all my troubles, forget all my cares in such a tranquil place. As I'm lulled in this utopian fantasy for about two minutes, we come across a mean old nasty bear setting up a trap for poor Br'er Rabbit. I'm gonna make some rabbit stew. <laughs> he menacingly chuckles. The lights are now starting to fade from the comforting sunshine to a more sinister, shadowy darkness. The little mommy daddy, along with the baby bunnies, huddled up together, saying in a more anxious tone, What can poor Br'er Rabbit do to keep from becoming rabbit stew? At this point, I'm starting to get a mighty bit anxious myself because my lulling log is climbing up a steep 45-degree angle hill, heading into a deeper, darker forest chock full of little furry, worried rodents all around me. Ahead, I hear giggling. How can the boys possibly think this is funny? I wince as my knuckles were turning white from holding on to dear life. A miserable mama bunny on the right side of the hill foretells our impending doom. Stay away from the old laughing place or you'll end up rabbit stew. We reach what I think is the apex, only to look down at a steamy, gloomy purgatory of briar patch. My senses have only a few split seconds to realize that my little boys and I are about to plunge 52 and a half feet. Ah, we're gonna die! I yell out, my heart in my larynx, as a bright flash erupts in my face. Fortunately, we didn't meet our maker as I had expected. We just got soaked. Zippity-doo-dah is now blasting joyously at full force. Cheerful geese in fancy bright dresses welcome our return from hell. My son and his cousin are laughing and smiling, pointing out our drenched attire. As I climb out of the water-soaked log, I try to unglue my wet hair and my clothes from my person. That was awesome, Mom, my seven-year-old says, jumping up and down. May we buy the picture that they took of us coming down the mountain? Sam asked politely, pointing toward a vendor's booth. So... The flash I saw was not my life passing by after all. It was a smart capitalist ploy by the marketers of Kodak. 
They actually had the nerve to sell back our own 8x10 images for $19.95, not including tax or frame. Why the boys in the photo look semi-elated in a masochistic sort of way, I look like I had witnessed a tragic homicide, mainly my own. I was humiliated. I swore never, never to go back on a ride like that again. I'm too old for this. <clears throat> a small voice rang out, two little words that stamped my fate. Mom, please. That day, we ended up going back seven more zippity doo da times. I was gonna die. I would like to welcome Patricia Silverberg to our show this week. Patricia has been gracious enough to grant us a phone interview all the way from Arizona, where that's where she lives. Uh, Patricia, welcome to our show. Your music seems to have a deep, rich soul type of um, sound to it also has connections to feelings of your own life, I believe. This, uh, the songs that we're going to be hearing today are all from your 2012 album, Don't Look Back. Tell me a little bit about your musical background. I began playing guitar when I was about three or four or five. I'm not exactly sure. My older brother got a guitar and he didn't want to play it. So I started picking it up and just making noise with it, and eventually took his little music books and matched up the notes with the strings and learned that way. Um, and then we had a little so-called garage band, but we lived in New York City, so we didn't actually have a garage. <laughs> so we just practiced in our bedroom, and I got to play the drums. So it was my sister, my brother, and myself. And then um, I started playing more guitar, and in high school, um, we had formal lessons, and I learned guitar theory, um, you know, different... Uh, my teacher was classically trained. We learned, you know... Um, I already knew how to read basic music, because I was also in school bands, too, um, playing drums. But um, I learned more about chord theory and chord structure and finger-picking and um, more formal... Um, education. And then my undergrad was in theater, so I took uh, voice with um, people who worked on Broadway. My first voice teacher was the first female conductor on Broadway. She did, I think, Chicago and um, Camelot and some other shows. And then I studied at HB Studios, also in New York City, with Elizabeth Hodes. Um, there's a lot of cabaret acts, you know, continued with guitar, and then I moved out here, really wasn't doing much with it, and then just started doing open mics, and, um, you know, everything just started coming together. I was walking around my guitar one day, and someone asked me to do some gigs, and I did, and it just took off from there, and now I'm studying classical, um, I'm studying classical piano, um, so it's enforcing even more of my theory and stuff because, yeah, I can actually, as opposed to a lot of musicians here, I can compose music more than just doing three-chord songs. 
Um, if you listen to my songs, I've used a lot of different chord variations, like sevens and suspended and alternate bases. Um, you know, it really takes the time to craft my music. So the song that we are going to be hearing always there, um, what is this about? What inspired you? Always there is a song I actually wrote when I was much younger. Um, I think I just finished undergrad school and I was learning classical guitar. Oh, my, my teacher in high school taught us classical guitar. And um, it had a very intricate guitar pick. Because if you listen to it, it only has three chords. But what I had done with it was make it really fancy. But in order to make that more of a pop-type song or a folk song, I had to cut that down, put it in a traditional time. Um, and then, but I kept the, the chorus um, has unusual, uh, unusual chord progression in it. And it's just about someone, you know, who I really loved and they left your life and just trying to be positive about it. And yeah, it's actually one of the simpler songs I've written. You were the one who was strong When life had all gone wrong You understood how I feel I knew the words I would hear You were always there
we love our parents. We know we can't kill them. So that's why we write comedy. KB Cabaret presents The Dysfunctionals. trips are special occasions. We rarely travel as an extended family, so one fateful year we decided the time had come. Our baby was now a little over one years old and she was travel ready. My parents thought it would be a nice treat if we all got in their Fleetwood and drove to Miami. After all, Cadillacs are roomy and the five of us would coast all the way to the south with no issues. This is what really happened. How many things can one woman pack for two weeks? I need my shoes, Stanley. They match my outfits. But you have four full-size suitcases. The entire family only packed two, and that includes the baby. You do this to me every time we travel, Stanley. You know my heart can't take it. Oh, where's my medicine? Your anti-anxiety pills are right in front of you. Don't forget to pack those. No, it's my heart medication. Oh, they're right in front of me. I don't want to forget to pack those. God, take me now. What are they arguing about? Her anti-anxiety pills? Honey, uh, could, could you take the bottle? Elizabeth is done eating. She looks so calm and complacent. One-year-olds do that. You done out there? Yes, Elizabeth is just about falling asleep. Oh, like an angel. Well, let's go. Your mother-in-law's finally finished. I can't sit in the middle. I, I get claustrophobic. I'll place Elizabeth's car seat in the middle, between the two of us. Are you sure, dear? I could sit in the middle, but I get claustrophobic. And now, Mother, you already told me that. There, all set. Why does the car seat have to take up so much of the space? Can't you just hold her? No, Mom. That's the law. The law wasn't like that before. I know, Mom. That's just the way things are. Will you people please shut up and get in a damp car? Okay, okay. Watch your language in front of the baby, Stanley. We'd like to get going sometime today if that's not too much to ask. Did you remember to lock the back door, Stanley? Yes, I remember to lock the back door, Ruth. You sure? Yes, I'm sure. Stanley, I can't find my heart medication. You said you packed them. It must still be on the kitchen counter. Are you kidding me, Ruth? Well, they're not here. You always do this to me, Ruth. Almost on the road and you can't find something. I'm sorry, Stanley, but I need my heart medication. You need the heart meds and I'll end up having a heart attack. God help me, Ruth, if we ever get to Florida and I'm not dead yet, I'm going to kill you. Stop it, Stanley, or I'm getting out of the car. Here, let me unlock the door for you. See what you did? You woke up the baby. You're the one who wants me to jump out of the car. Shh, it's okay. Papa doesn't really mean it. He's just an angry, wingy old man. That's right, honey. Grandpa's just upset because Grammy's a senile old lady. You take that back. Will you two stop it already? This happened every single time you took a trip during my childhood. Either you overpacked or you forgot to bring something. That's not true. This is the first time. Always happens. Okay, I hope everyone has everything because I'm not turning around again. We'll be lucky to make it out of New York State by nightfall at this rate. Well, don't look at me. I have my medicine now. I don't know how I left it on the counter. 
Did you lock the back door, Stanley? I checked the back door, the front door, and the stove. Everything is locked and off. You don't have to get snippy. Things like that are important. Well, this is nice. A little peace and quiet. Not for long. Five bucks your mother-in-law says it's too cold. No, Ma's sleeping. Dear, the baby. Stanley, it's too cold in here. The baby's crying. What did I tell you? Uh-huh. No, Ma, the sun through your window is bothering her. It's shining in her eyes. Here, Ma, put this baby screen on your window. How do you keep this thing up? Here, let me spray water on the suction cups. Now turn. Hun, uh, could you give me a baby bottle from the cooler? Sure, hon. I thought she's crying because of the sun. Probably, but her diaper is dry, so she may be crying because she's hungry. She's covering all ends. Well, I don't think this baby screen is doing enough for Elizabeth. Let me cover the window with my afghan. Ruth, I can't see the cars on my left. Lower that thing down. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Is that better? Well, at least now I can see. You see? The baby stopped crying. My afghan is better than that little screen. Why do you feed Elizabeth so much? It soothes her. A pacifier would soothe her better. I've tried that. She knows the difference. Yes, one has 150 calories and the other zero. I know you're right, but I don't want the baby cry. Ma, what's wrong? My arm, my arm, I can't feel my arm. Ma, why can't you feel your arm? The afghan. I've been holding it up so long my arm fell asleep. Well, then let it go. The screen is fine. You're so stubborn, Ruth. Oh, the pain is so sharp. Put something warm on it. It'll take the tingling away. Warm? There's nothing warm enough in here. It's freezing. Oh, for God's sakes. Ah, gross. Oh, Elizabeth just threw up all her milk on me. You're an idiot. Your mother told you you feed the baby too much. I told... You have to stop. This is gross. I need to change. I have milk all over me. Oh, for God's sake, I was making such good time. Dad! Little sharp dubbing needle pains all over my arm. Okay, okay, all of you shut up. I just missed the exit. Dad! And so, after half an hour, father made his way to a rest stop. I changed, and mother's arm was fine. The baby was car sick through the entire trip, so we had to stop every few hours. I wore towels. The two-day trip turned into four, but we made it without killing each other. I would like to say this trip made us closer. What I can say is this trip made us decide we would never travel together again in one car. Even though Cadillacs are roomy, and so our saga ends again for now but join us next time for the dysfunctionals where do babies come from where do babies come from that was the epic question our teacher, Mrs. Zuckerman, posed to our first grade class. I guess it wasn't as epic as the question, what did you do on your summer vacation? But it sure must be a close second. I knew the answer to this one. Apparently, everyone else did, because we all had our hands raised in the air. No, now, hold all your answers. I want you to draw where babies come from. Draw. Perfect. I had number one crayon skills. 
nice white sheet of drawing paper and a 20-box coloring set. I was in my element, ribbon red, yellow stone yellow, <laughs> bravado black. My masterpiece was coming together nicely. I looked to the left and eyed Bobby Bordeaux's drawing. Average red brick building, big woman in bed. <laughs> On my right, A.B. White was drawing a tall bird. <laughs> What's that about? <laughs> Amateurs. Oh, now that's interesting, Bree. Why don't you show your picture to the class? You rock, Mrs. Zuckerman, I thought to myself. Obviously, the woman is an art aficionado. <laughs> so I showed everyone my drawing. Everyone burst out laughing. What's that supposed to be? said Amy. A grocery store? Yeah, why is there a baby next to the cash register? Ignorant fools. <laughs> so when Mother picked me up from school, I refused to eat my cinnamon apple. She was concerned. What's wrong, hon? Mom, why did you lie to me? What? Where do babies come from? I told you, from Floyd's Baby Mart. All the kids laughed at me when I said that. They said kids come from hospitals and big birds called storks. Well, maybe, but you're special. You came from Floyd's. You see, your father and I were told Floyd's was the best place to find the perfect baby. For years we looked high and low for a beautiful little girl and couldn't find any, no matter how hard we tried. Storks do not carry special stock and hospitals do not carry the better brand names. Our only hope was Floyd's. So because we wanted the best, and the best is expensive, we withdrew all our money from the bank. Cash and bags, we browsed through every part of the baby mart. We looked in every crib, up and down the aisle, went up to each floor and spent four and a half hours searching, searching everywhere, but nothing special. No special little girl. We were never more depressed and were ready to quit. Just as we were about to leave, Floyd himself stopped us. Wait, he shouted. There's one more. One more? One more? One more little girl. But she's very, very expensive. That's why we never showed you. But after much persuasion, he took us down a hidden passageway and opened a heavy door. And there, there in the room was a single crib. And we knew, we knew this little girl had to be ours. We assured him we had enough money. So he packaged you up, placed you on the counter, and started counting the cash. One, two, three, and on and on until we were exhausted. We didn't have enough money. There had to be more. Somewhere there had to be more. What about the piggy bank in the back of the bedroom closet? Daddy suggested. Yes, yes, that was it. So, while I stayed with you by the cash register, Daddy ran home as fast as he could, and in ten minutes, he came back with the piggy bank. I couldn't wait any longer. I smashed the bank on the floor, and the coins poured out. We had enough. We had enough. From that day on, 
we had the prettiest, best, most exquisite baby in the land. You see, hun, I didn't lie to you. How would any of the other children know about such a place? Mom was right. Only I could know that secret. I was satisfied for at least a few more years. After all, if you can't trust your parents for the truth, who can you trust? You Should Know is a special song that I believe you entered for a concert. They gave you the title. But there's much more meaning to this. I understand there is a deeper connection to the song than just the title. How did you make this work for you? Well, that grew out of a couple of you know, different sources. We have this event here in Phoenix um, called the Arizona Songwriting Challenge. And um, you're giving a title and you're given 30 days to write a song. And so the obvious thing that came to me was, hey, this is going to be a love song. And everyone's going to write a love song. But I wanted it to be a little different than be real, um, not just, hey, I love you. I was thinking back to when I was in Memphis at uh, a music conference, and I shared a room with a gal from L.A. We just randomly knew each other from a listserv, and we just hit it off. And we were talking about the bullying in the music industry, and there's a lot of it. Especially at that point in time when I was doing all the paid gigs, a lot of people talk about you behind their backs, and there's a lot of backstabbing, there's a lot of nonsense. So we were talking about that, so I was thinking about this bullying theme and being there for someone. But uh, my friend and I were our friends, we're very close friends still, but in order to make it a little bit more commercial, I had to make it a little bit more like romantic laugh, so I took that angle to it. So it is about being there for somebody, but it's being there for someone who is really distressed and being bullied. And I just played it at a benefit um, for one of our local musicians who just, um, it was about a month before he passed away. And talking about pulling on people's heartstrings, I meant to sing it as, hey, you know, we care about you. What's going on in your life? You're unfortunately, he had a um, series of medical issues, including um, strokes and stuff. And he was fading away. And it was meant to be like a love song. And everyone in the house started crying. And then I went out to the bathroom later. And, and everyone like wouldn't talk to me. And they were like, this is not a song I ever heard. I was like, oh, sorry.
makes you wretch Threats make you thin You won't live one more day Know that I love you You should know how much I care In the dark, I'm there I hold you to chase away those nightmares Take my heart to your soul Take my breath into your lungs Take my blood into your veins Told me you and I remain You should know that I love you You should know how much I care In the dark I'm there I hold you to chase away those nightmares You should Know that I love you You should know how much I care And you know I'm the one To mend those tears Laws have changed Times are different Rules are more rigid. Trust no one. Fear everyone. Better be safer than sorry. I get it. I know. I'm not stupid. But I am old. Well, maybe not old, but middle-aged. So because I am in my mid-years, I can look back 40 years of my life and say, I was 13 and times were different. Yes, cars were invented and we did fly to the moon, I think. But airport security was not like it is today. Back in my childhood, it was loose, almost carefree. Why am I bringing up this topic in the first place? Come back with me, 40 years to the LaGuardia Airport in New York City. Okay, we checked the dog in and boarding is within the hour. I'm worried about our puppy. So she's blind, but she is very well adjusted. You should be proud. I know, but she's in a cage in the cargo section of the plane. The pet cargo section is pressurized. She'll be fine. I hope so. Are you sure she won't be scared? Yes, dear. Now let's find a restaurant. All this worrying on your part is making me hungry. So we searched out a restaurant in the main terminal and ordered. Also, a side of fried onion rings, please. Yes, ma'am. Anything else, ladies? No, that's it. We don't have that much time before boarding, Mom. I know. He'll bring it right out. We'll eat, then we'll go. I'd much rather sit here than in that crowded waiting area. Do you realize how many people cough and sneeze in there? Not more than the inside of the cabin of a plane. But then I didn't say it out loud to Mother. I knew better than to contradict. We got our sodas, but the onion rings... 
How long can it possibly be to make onion rings? How long can it possibly be to make onion rings? I'll check for you, ma'am. Never mind. We have a plane to catch. Just give me the bill. I'm sorry, ma'am, but your plane is already on the runway. What do you mean, already on the runway? We boarded the plane ten minutes ago. I'll check if you can get on the next flight out to Fort Lauderdale. Did I say panic? I never saw Mother panic until that moment. Next flight out, our blind dog is on this plane. There is no way I'm going to let her wait for us for hours. She is sure to die from fright. Let me see what I can do. He got on the phone and made us wait. We were sweating it. What could possibly be done? All I knew is that I hated onion rings. Come with me. We walked for what seemed like an eternity, and then found ourselves outside, surrounded by Boeing 747s. We're taking you out to the runway. Plane is being delayed for boarding. Oh, I can't thank you enough. Here, climb aboard the baggage cargo transport. It was surreal. Mother and I, in the middle of one of the busiest airports in New York. Riding to our missed plane on the runway via a baggage truck, the aircraft stairs to our Fort Lauderdale ride was let down. The flight attendant on board bemusedly took our tickets. I felt the eyes of the other passengers piercing through my mother and I like lasers. Who could they be? The pilot's family? VIP? Terror? No, terrorists were not in the vocabulary forty years ago. <sighs> Times have changed. The bright side to this story is we arrived to Florida safely, and our blind sweet dog was happy we were there to greet her. And what lesson can you learn from this story? Never order fried onion rings right before a flight. They may be tempting, but in the long run, they're not so good for you. We Catholic kids who attended public elementary school endured suspicion and persecution at every turn. The Protestant kids thought we were members of some exotic cult. While the Catholic school kids viewed us as godless heathens, making token drive-by appearances at church on Sunday, that treatment was merely opening round for the real persecution. Once a week after school, we'd have to enter the hallowed halls of the local Catholic school for our one-hour catechism class. The weekly ritual included crucifixes and pictures of the saints on every wall. As well as the creaking wooden floorboards echoing from the hallway walls that made it impossible to sneak in late, the girls got carted away to some undisclosed location, leaving us boys there alone to face the leader of our spiritual journey, Sister Mary Frances. Her job was to cram a week's worth of fear, intimidation, and guilt into one grueling hour. She was assisted by her constant companion, a thick wooden yardstick. Sister Mary Frances's long, flowing habit covered her from head to toe, except for a small part of her face. So we really didn't know too much about her. Approximate age, old. Approximate size, large. Approximate personality, mean. And that made it difficult for a young boy with an inquisitive mind like myself when it came to the process of religious education. Um, excuse me, Sister Mary Frances. What's this adultery thing they're talking about in this commandment? 
She pointed the yardstick right at my face and replied in her best Charlton Heston imitation. Young man, I'll ask the questions in this class, not you. And that was it. I never did get an answer. In fact, I still don't know what adultery is. I've been afraid to ask. One day, Sister Mary Frances had serious business to discuss. Boys, our Holy Father, Pope John the Twenty-Third, is very ill. Tonight, I want you to go straight home and pray for the Pope's health. Otherwise, he may die. Well, that was a pretty heavy homework assignment, but I was up to the task. As soon as school got out, I headed home with every intention of going directly up to my bedroom and spending the entire evening on my knees praying for the Pope. But along the way, I ran into my friend Bruce, who had other ideas. Hey, John, let's go play baseball. Bruce, we can't play baseball. Didn't you hear, Sister Mary Frances? We have to go home and pray for the Pope. Come on, there'll be plenty of time for that later. So I played baseball until dinner time. Ate, watched TV, went to bed, and forgot all about poor old sick Pope John the Twenty-Third. The next morning, I awoke to a frightening scene. My mother was at the kitchen table, crying softly to herself, reading the newspaper with a rosary in her hand. I knew that could only mean one thing. Oh, gee, Mom, who died? The Pope passed away last night. He seemed like he was getting better. I can't understand it. Disaster. Maybe she couldn't understand it, but I understood it perfectly well. I didn't pray for the Pope's health, and he died, just like Sister Mary Frances warned. I killed the Pope. What could I do? What could I say? I couldn't tell my mother I just killed her Pope. So I took the easy way out. And went out to the living room to see my father, who viewed these things with considerably less emotion. Dad, Mom's pretty upset about the Pope dying. That's okay. They'll just get a new Pope. That was news to me. Really, Dad? They'll get a new Pope? Sure. I'll take a few votes, make some smoke, and that's it. New Pope. Oh, I was thrilled. I went running back to the kitchen, shouting, "Mom, guess what? You don't have to cry. They're getting a new Pope." She gave me a big hug, and I knew she'd be fine. As for myself, however, I had one more hurdle. The mood was ugly in Sister Mary Frances's classroom the next week. She and her yardstick were on a mission. I want to know who did not pray for the Pope. All my Catholic schoolboys did their part, so it must have been one of you. Raise your hand if you didn't pray for the Pope's health last week. When I look back at that day, I realize it was the exact moment I began to think like an adult—a devious, buck-passing adult. I wasn't about to raise my hand in front of Sister Mary Frances. The last time I'd done that, I nearly had a face-first collision with a yardstick. So I waited to see if anyone else would raise his hand first. I looked to my left, nothing. I looked to my right, there was my friend Bruce, looking mighty guilty, but he didn't raise his hand either. Finally, Sister Mary Frances got tired of waiting. Okay, boys, 
this Saturday, you're all going to go see the priest for confession. Oh, no, not confession. I hate confession. It's dark and scary in there. But Sister Mary Frances was right. I had to get this off my chest. I needed to confess. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I didn't tell my teacher the truth. I didn't tell my mom the whole truth. And I didn't tell my dad nothing but the truth. And um, there's um, one more thing. Yes, my son. It's a really big sin, Father. Out with it, boy. God forgives all sins. Well, I killed the Pope. There was a moment of tense silence before the priest responded. Does this have anything to do with Sister Mary Frances? How'd you know that, Father? Well, you're the third Pope killer I've had in here today. Say your prayers and watch out for the yardstick, son. I heard the bishop is sick, too. Well, Patricia, it's been a pleasure having you on our show. We will be closing with your final song um, from your 2012 album, Don't Look Back, called Hear My Song. Uh, this tells a lot about who you are as a quiet individual and a person who has something to say. I'm pretty quiet overall, very much an introvert. And then um, I find that a lot of times people simply don't listen to what I do say. And when I tend to talk, I usually have something important to say. Um, you know, I'm not the kind of person that just jabbers for the sake of filling space. In this particular song, um, was written about some musicians that I was working with at the time, which is was kind of the ones I was talking about that do the bullying and such. Um, and I just really wanted them to hear me. And um, so I came up with this song, and it's about being real with somebody. If you're in any kind of relationship, I would say, you know, if this is just being at work or um, a friendship, working with your agent. Yeah, I had a terrible agent at the time. And then um, being heard, be treated realistically. Um, a lot of times if you have a disagreement with a person, their ego gets in the way. And then they, they're not really presenting who they are. Um, sort of lines in there, like, show me your heart, show me your spirit. You know, if you're being true, I'll know it. And if you're just, you know, covering up to, for whatever reason, yeah, I'm going to know it too. And then I want to be heard. I want to be treated like an individual. Um, I want to be treated with respect. Yeah, it's a song about being heard and understood. Uh, even if, you know, someone doesn't agree with you, it's at least recognizing that you have a point of view. Let's listen to Hear My Song. Show me no blame, show me no pride, 
That's all for today's show. I'd like to thank all of our guests for being on KB Cabaret. I'm always awed with the amazing talent out there. Thank you to my hardworking crew, co-workers, and actors John Kerry, John Montgomery, actors Junie McMahon, and Bonnie DeForest. My amazing sound engineer and actor, newlywed, Charles Berman. His assistant, Valentine Monfuega. My music engineer, David Rice of Basement Studios, who <laughs> makes me sound better than I am. And a special shout-out to Christina Dilnella, who plays one mean piano and now works in musical theater in New York City. Of course, a special thank you to you, dear KB Cabaret audience, for stopping by and listening to our show. We certainly couldn't do this without you. If any of you have a hankering to write or sing for our show, contact me. Bree Harvey through the show submission page. Let me see what you've got. And sponsors, you want your name heard by over 150,000 listening audience members all over the country and as far as Australia? <laughs> Hello, mates. Then KB Cabaret is the place to be. Just give me a shout out on kbcabaret.com. That's kbkabaret.com. I'm Bree Harvey, head writer and producer of KB Cabaret. See you next week on the radio. Thank you for coming, coming to stay a while. Thank you for coming to spend some time. We'd love to have you and share our parlor city. Come back again now to KB Cabaret.